Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. Well, this morning we are uh, continuing and actually concluding a series that we've been in through the summer in the 23rd Psalm, the well-known psalm that begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we've called this series, uh, He Renews My Soul. We've been looking at the ways that God uh, does offer us through his grace, through his love, his shepherding care, uh, a renewal and rest and reinvigoration that's deeper uh, than simply a vacation or a physical rest, but it's a soul rest and renewal that he gives his people. And so uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the last verse of Psalm 23 and then another passage in John 14. So if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? I know in and out of those camp chairs is a little tougher than the chairs inside, so thanks for getting up and down. Our first scripture reading this morning is Psalm 23, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And our second scripture reading uh, this morning is from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. You can be seated. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall chase after me all the days of my life. Really, that's the way that the passage should be translated. The the English shall follow me is really far too passive. The Hebrew here is often used for someone being chased after and pursued by uh, usually an enemy. And yet David here says it's God's goodness and mercy that will pursue me, that will chase after me all the days of my life. And now when it comes to being chased, uh, this was something that David knew a little bit about. He had been chased through much of his life. As a, as a shepherd boy out keeping his father's flocks, he knew what it was to be chased and pursued by wild animals who were after his flock. Later on, as uh, the anointed soon-to-be king of Israel, he knew what it was to be chased by a jealous king, right? Remember Saul seeing uh, David's popularity and the favor of the people, seeing David, uh, God's blessing in David's life, became consumed with jealousy and chased him, even to the point of throwing spears at him and trying to kill him. David knew what it was to be chased, even by his own son, as later in his life, his son Absalom, 
attempted a coup, trying to overthrow his father from the throne so he could take it for himself. David knew what it was to be pursued, to be chased after by enemies, and yet he could say, in spite of all of these other threats that had chased after him in his life, that it was God's goodness and God's mercy that ultimately was what was chasing after him or pursuing him. Some of you know what that feels like to be chased after by something. You know what it feels like to wake up in the morning and feel chased after by anxiety, wondering if you're going to make it through the day or if something difficult is going to happen. You know what it is uh, maybe to feel chased by doubts and unbelief, wondering if you're going to be able uh, to continue to believe in the face of the doubts that you feel in your life. Maybe you felt what it is to be chased or pursued by literal enemies as you face relational difficulty or betrayal in your own life. And David knows what that felt like. David knows what it felt like to be chased. And yet he turns and says, you know what, in all of that, it's been God who's been pursuing me. And it's been God, not in his judgment, not in his wrath, but God in goodness and in mercy that has pursued me all the days of my life. You know, I remember as a younger Christian, uh, I remember when a book came out, um, this was probably in the early 2000s, uh, and it rocketed up Christian bestseller lists, as, as these things do, and it was called God Chasers. I don't know if you remember that, that book, if you were uh, in the Christian subculture at the time, but I remember the basic idea was of, of the book was people who love God chase after God. Right? People who love God chase after his presence, they chase after his blessing, they chase after his spirit. And of course, there is some element of truth to that, right? That our hearts do pursue what we love most. Our hearts do uh, pursue those things that we think we most need. But what David is reminding us of here is a deeper truth, is that before you or I or anyone ever would choose to pursue God, that God pursues us, right? That grace means that God actually pursues us when we are hell-bent on, deter- on, on pursuing everything but God. That while we were wandering off from God, while we were doing our darndest to get away from God, that even then he and his grace was moving towards us. That he was chasing after us regardless of whether or not we thought to chase after him. That he's a God who pursues prodigals and wayward sons and daughters, not just those who pursue him. You know, maybe one of the best pictures of this in literature is uh, from C.S. Lewis's story, The Horse and His Boy. Uh, this is one of the, the Chronicles of Narnia, and it tells the story of uh, a young boy named Shasta. And Shasta uh, was an orphan. He was taken in uh, by a fisherman and raised essentially as the fisherman's servant until one day he found out that he was about to be sold uh, by the fisherman into slavery. And so he determined, having get, gotten word of this, to escape Uh, on the back of a talking horse, uh, as happens in these books. And so he sets off, and Shasta was a boy who had known uh, incredible suffering and trauma in his life, not only the trauma of being orphaned, uh, the trauma of being uh, finding out he was about to be betrayed and sold into slavery, but innumerable hardships on this journey that he's going through from his homeland uh, up towards Narnia. He's chased and he's plagued, and he he feels like he's going to die on multiple occasions. And then one day, Shasta is going through this foggy wilderness, and he feels a presence with him that at first he just calls the thing, like something out of a horror movie. Uh, He at various points thinks it's a ghost, 
or he believes that it's a giant that's stalking him until the thing reveals himself. And I'll read that section of the book. Once more, he felt the warm breath of the thing on his hand and his face. There, it said, that is not the breath of a ghost. Tell me all your sorrows. Shasta was a little reassured by the breath, so he told him how he had never known his real father or mother, how he'd been brought up sternly by the fishermen, and then he told the story of his escape and how they were chased by lions and forced to swim for their lives, and all of their dangers in Tashban, that's one of the countries they moved through, and about his night out among the tombs and how the beasts howled at him out of the desert. And he told about the heat and the thirst of their desert journey and how they were almost at their goal when another lion chased them and wounded his friend Aravis. And also how very long it was since he had had anything to eat. I do not call you unfortunate, said this large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta. There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I just told you there were at least two lions on the first night, and there was only one, but he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. And Shasta gaped with, with open mouth and said nothing. And the voice continued. I was the lion who forced you to join with Aravis. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses new strength of fear for the last mile that you should reach the king in time. I was the lion, you do not remember, who pushed you in the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat, watchful at midnight, to receive you. Who are you? asked Shasta. Myself, said the voice, very deep and low so that the earth shook. And again, myself, louder and clear and joyful. And the third time, myself, whispered so softly that you could hardly hear it. And yet it seemed to come from all around you as if the leaves rustled with it. Shasta was no longer afraid that the voice belonged to something that would eat him, nor that it was the voice of a ghost. But a new and different sort of trembling came over him, and he felt glad too. So it reveals, you know, Lewis reveals that the lion, uh, Aslan, the Christ figure uh, in the Narnia stories, was the one who had been pursuing this boy, even to the point of taking him uh, on a boat to the fisherman's dock to bring him into his home. To, at every point of his journey, the lion, uh, the Christ figure, was pursuing this child every bit of the way. When he thought he was in danger, he really wasn't. When he thought uh, he was all alone, he never was that Aslan had his eye on him and was pursuing him through all of the tragedies and ups and downs and fears of his life. And I think that's what David's getting at in Psalm 23, that God's goodness and his mercy is with us even when we feel alone, even when we feel terrified, even those parts of our lives that we are almost certain that God has nothing to do with us or that we've, we've sinned in some way or wandered too far, that God's goodness and his mercy has been pursuing us every step of the way. And where does this pursuit of us end? David says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? The God, the, God, the presence that pursues David is ultimately pursuing him to his own house. He's pursuing him towards a deeper knowledge of God's presence. 
he's pursuing him to himself. It's like um, when I play a game of hide and seek with my children, right? I'm chasing after them. I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing them. When, they, when I find them, which I always do, <laughs> they might run and I chase after them and it used to be easier to catch them. But when I finally catch them, I don't catch them to punish them. I catch them to catch them up in my arms, to wrestle, to, to, to catch them in my presence. And David says that's the way that God chases us. He chases after us, not to judge us, not to punish us, but to catch us up into the presence that will one day envelop us for eternity, the eternal presence of life in the house of the Lord, in God's house, in God's presence forever. Listen, we, we can live our lives in such a way that ultimately, we, you know, we all reach death. We all come to the end of our lives. You can either live your life in such a way that that death is the end of everything you lived your life pursuing, right? And for many people, that's what it is. You spend your life accumulating wealth. You spend your life uh, accumulating perfect houses or uh, you spend your life accumulating success. And then death levels it out and you're left with just as empty as you were if you had none of it. Or you can spend your life chasing after something that in the end, death will only be the consummation of what you spent your life chasing after. Right? And that's what David is saying here, this mercy and goodness of God that chased after me in life. In my death, I will experience it in fullness. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You have a choice in your life whether to live your life chasing after those things that you can only ever lose or chasing after a presence that will only ever be yours in fullness eternally. Augustine put it this way, God himself is our homeland. We must fly to our homeland. There the Father is, and there is everything. David knew that hope. To know looking at, at God's presence, which he knew in the tabernacle, which he hoped to see in the temple, but knew that it pointed beyond that to a house that he could dwell in forever and ever. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we recognize uh, the foolishness that it is that can keep us living after lesser things that can keep us uh, believing ultimately that we are alone in this world, the faithlessness that keeps us from seeing your presence attending to our every step, the faithlessness that lives for lesser things that ultimately we can only lose. Lord, help us to know your goodness and your mercy. Help us to rest in the promise of the one who did promise us on his way to the cross that he was going to prepare a place for us. Lord Jesus, help us to live in this life, uh, in the security of that place, knowing that at the cost of your own life, that you opened up for us uh, a home in the presence of your Father. Help us to live and to rest there and to set our hopes there. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.